hey, listen, this is just for information. We don't intend it to be legal advice, so don't take it as legal advice. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Molly Carter. And I'm your advocate host, Ren Fazuski. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. All right, so today, Ren, we have yet another veteran of the podcast coming on again who just has a fountain of wisdom to offer. She's like the Oprah of our podcast guests. We just keep <laughs> bringing her on and on again because she has so much knowledge. Colleen is Colleen is probably the most featured guest on our podcast, which makes sense. She's the director of DLCV. Absolutely. And she's going to be talking to us about the General Assembly again and what they've done and all the and all the gossip, the hot goss, if you will. Yes, all the things that are going down. Um, I think the General Assembly, you know, it's one of those things that we see in headlines, but it's also, um, I think at the local level, many times people don't realize the importance of these politics and the issues that are going on and what um, what they're really doing to initiate change. So I am so excited for her to dig in deeper to um, more of the specifics and also to let sort of people know how they can be aware and get involved in the everyday things. Absolutely, it's incredibly important and it's gonna be a great episode today. Let's jump right in. So once again, we welcome the illustrious Colleen Miller back to the podcast. Welcome back. I love being called illustrious. That's a wonderful (laughs) title. I can try to keep up coming up up with more adjectives if you prefer. Um, So this is our uh, post general assembly episode. And I know it's your favorite episode because the General Assembly is essentially over. I uh, am always happy when the General Assembly is in the rear view mirror. <laughs> uh, we all know that this was kind of a, a strange session. There was a lot of things that made it uh, different and difficult. We kind of introduced in our, in our first episode. Let's, let's get right to it and talk about the legislation that DLCV found really important. Because that, that's really what we're here for. Right. Yes, Thank you. Essentials. Thank you. Yeah. There were, um, there were three pieces of legislation that the Disability Law Center was actively promoting, that we were actively lobbying for. And all three of those pieces have been successful. So we're very, very happy about that. Um, perhaps the one that makes the biggest difference to the most uh, people in Virginia with disabilities has to do with the state's human rights law, Human Rights Act. And that was a law that was changed last year to uh, include protections for uh, the LGBTQ community. And in the course of changing that law and creating some some ways in which it could be enforced, um, they neglected to include people with disabilities in the employment protections. So we were very happy that the Office of the Attorney General approached us to try to fix that this year. Um, And uh, Delegate Mark Sickles was the patron of that bill. Um, The thing that the bill does that is really significant, it it provides, of course, protection for people with disabilities against employment discrimination. 
but it also updates the Virginians with Disabilities Act and brings it into conformance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Our state law is very old. It was passed about a decade before the ADA was passed. And it's got a lot of stuff in it that's really out of date. There's a, a rule in our state law that says that an accommodation that costs more than $500 is per se undue hardship. And that was a, a dollar amount that was set in 1984 and has not been changed since then. So we were able through this legislation with Delegate Sickles to really uh, update the Virginians with Disabilities Act um, and offers now state level protection that matches the federal level protection. And that bill has been successful. We also had awesome. a bill, yeah, we had a bill to, um, correct a, pro a longstanding problem uh, with uh, voting access. Um, DLCV does surveys of polling places. Have been, we've been doing surveys of polling places for, for a number of years, and we've always identified a significant problem with access to curbside voting, which is something that's in state law. People with disabilities are allowed to ask for the ballot to be brought to their car but the way it works in a lot of jurisdictions is you have to go inside the building to ask for that bill, for that ballot. And, you know, it's just kind of dumb. Also, what if you don't drive? Like, what if your vehicle is not your vehicle? Then, you know. Well, right. And and that is a that's a huge thing um, that uh, it's just it just makes it really unnecessarily complicated. Um, we've been trying to educate polling places about ways that they can do it better. And uh, this last November, when we did our surveys, one of the polling places said, yeah, we'd rather keep it a secret. We'd rather not have people know that they can ask for a curbside ballot. So uh, we have successfully gotten uh, legislation through both the House and the Senate that will require a polling place to post information outside <laughs> that identifies uh, how you can get a ballot. We don't care how they do it. You can have a phone number that you call. Some places have people stationed outside to be sort of on the alert for it. Um, some places have designated parking spaces where, where you can just park and wait until somebody uh, notices that you're there. We don't care how they do it. We just need it to be accessible without going into the building. So that bill's been successful too. Yeah, I think that anytime uh, there's some sort of rights, in this case, voting rights, you can't keep them secret. I think that goes against the whole idea of rights in yeah. general. And this yeah. is supposed to be public info for a reason. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I, I, I think that with this new legislation, we've got that, uh, that issue fixed. There are lots of other barriers to access um, uh, for voting for people with disabilities. But this was the most uh, significant one that we've noticed in all of our surveys. So once we get this fixed, we'll uh, start to address some of the other barriers that people with disabilities face. I think all this success and everything that's been passed, considering the times that we're in right now, is incredible. Um, I'm curious, Colleen, were there any pieces of legislation that were tabled this time around? And if so, what's next for them? So. None of the bills that we were promoting were tabled. The things that we were working on uh, all passed successfully. And as far as we know, the governor will sign them into law. Um, we have not heard about any opposition from the governor on the bills that we were promoting. 
but there have been some bills that are tabled um, that or or that were otherwise kind of put aside um, that mm -hmm. we were concerned about. There's one bill in particular that allows a criminal defendant to enter evidence that of their disability, that they can enter uh, evidence into the criminal trial that they have autism, that they have uh, uh, developmental disability. <clears throat> and although, you know, I think it's shocking to a lot of people that you cannot bring that evidence now into a criminal trial. Um, the bill did run into a lot of trouble in the legislature. We're not sure whether there's any way to rescue it. We think that it's probably gonna end up uh, being a bill that we have to deal with in the next legislative session. That's interesting. You know, I think too, when it comes to um, how people are treated in trials, like there's a lot of, um, there's so many barriers in that and there's so many pieces of the system that need to be remedied, but it's great to point out too that um, disability is a part of that because I think that's something that as a society, you know, unless you're personally affected by it, we tend to overlook that. So I think that's wonderful and necessary that that's getting mentioned. That's right. That's right. Well, and as, as you all know, uh, the Disability Law Center does not practice criminal law. So this has been a, a bill that we have followed um, and have, have tried to be of help to the patron and to the people who are promoting this bill, but it's really not an area of expertise for us. We can't be experts on everything, no matter how much we try. That's correct, that's correct. We, we talked about in our last episode that this General Assembly was happening during COVID, which has just been a trying time for everybody. And you were you talked about some of the, the workarounds that the GA was uh, attempting to do in order to make sure everything ran smoothly. Did it run smoothly? How'd that go? I can't imagine why it wouldn't. I mean, everything's perfect. So, you know, one of the, one of the phrases that has entered our uh, lexicon now in the last year or so uh, as we all know, and we've all said every time, uh, every day, we've all said, you're on mute. Um, that became a very common phrase in the legislative session. And uh, it, it became a, a serious obstacle to public debate. Most of, the, most of the session was virtual. And I say most because uh, the Senate actually met in person. They were all in the same room together. Um, at the science museum, sitting at tables that were six to eight feet apart from each other. They were all masked, um, but the public could only participate virtually um, using, uh, I think it was Zoom, I think was the technology that the Senate and the House both used. Um, so that, that made it difficult. Um, sometimes when you're, when you're meeting in person, there are times when you and the other people working on the bill can step out into the hallway and have a conversation about what you need to work on and how about if you try this word, why won't that work? And you can actually do that on site. When you're, when you're meeting virtually, the legislature's controlling who gets to speak. You get one chance to speak. You don't get to go back and forth uh, and have a dialogue with things. So it's, it's a very different kind of format. You have to be very, very strategic in what you say in a virtual format. The legislature also had a lot of technical difficulties. 
There was one meeting that I attended where there were probably, I don't know, 15 people trying to speak on a bill and the legislature, the legislative services just simply didn't know they were there. Um, they just didn't call on them and the bills all got passed, even though there was serious opposition to the bills. It was really alarming that the technology was blocking the democratic process that badly. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about technology too that you just pointed out is that it's important that things not get lost in translation. And I think as much as we use technology to make things accessible, you know, in this case, it's actually making it harder and people are having to kind of adjust their strategies, adjust their ways of thinking and sort of how they approach um, this entire process. You did mention before Colleen that disabled people were not able to participate in person this time, that it was only done virtually. Can you talk more about um, what ways disabled people might have their voices really heard um, during the General Assembly besides just participating virtually or the ways in which they do that? Sure, so the most significant way that somebody with a disability or any citizen in Virginia um, can have their voices heard in the process is to develop these good personal relationships with your delegate, with your senator, so that when something comes up, they pay attention to what you have to say. Um, and, and really, um, you know, Virginia is in many ways a small town. And these personal relationships are so much more important than people really imagine. A lot of people will show up at these hearings and offer their public comment but if they don't have any relationship with anybody on that committee or don't have a relationship with their own representatives, um, the comment is just a speech. It's, it's not anything that people really pay attention to. So I would encourage people with disabilities to uh, take the time between now, the end of the General Assembly session and the next session to try to meet your delegate, meet your Senator, um, let them know what your life is like as a person with a disability Help them understand what the role of government in your life is, how laws affect your life, and really um, create that kind of relationship with them so that, um, so that you know, when the need comes, they're there to listen to you. There's also a number of things that you can do um, in conjunction with advocacy organizations or with the Disability Law Center. Um, there are advocacy organizations on behalf of people with disabilities that carry a lot of credibility with the General Assembly. Um, Mental Health America, uh, Vocal, National Alliance for Mental Illness, all have very good uh, reputations in the legislature uh, on behalf of people with mental illness. Um, the uh, Brain Injury Association of Virginia has a good reputation with the legislature. The ARC of Virginia um, carries a lot of credibility with the legislature. So if, if those are organizations that are working on uh, matters that, mat that concern you, I think associating with them, trying to influence um, direction that they're going in um, is, is always a good thing. The Disability Law Center, of course, deals with all disabilities. Um, and so uh, it's also great if you had the opportunity to uh, work with us, support us, help us understand what the issues are that face you. Yes, absolutely. And I know one of the things we're so passionate here at DLCB is that people have the right to have their story heard and to be their own advocate rather than, you know, constantly have 
able-bodied people who might not fully understand their experiences speak for them. So I think that's just such an important point to the work that we do. And I'm so glad that, you know, in the General Assembly that that is part of it. Um, so we, 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 we talk a lot about how important the General Assembly is. And obviously we're doing this in the context of folks with disabilities, because obviously at the Disability Law Center, that's our point of view. Um, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the General Assembly. There's a lot of sort of ingrained attitudes, particularly from folks who don't have a lot of contact with it, who don't hear a lot about it. And what, what do you think are sort of the biggest misconceptions that citizens have about local politics and the General Assembly? Well, I would say that if people are familiar with the workings of Congress, uh, they could be very confused about the way the state legislature operates. We have what's, uh, what's been called a citizen legislature. So all of the people who are in the Senate, who are in the House of Delegates have other jobs. They are teachers, they are lawyers, they are insurance salesmen, that some of them are retired. Um, and so uh, it's, it's sometimes uh, confusing to us because we think that they should be available to us 24 hours a day. They should be able to answer our questions. And, and really they're only in session for six weeks a year, eight weeks a year and other years. Uh, it's really a pretty short period of time. The other thing is that they are, the uh, members of the House of Delegates and the members of the Senate don't have like enormous staff. So if you are used to working with uh, Congress, you know, they've got offices all over the Commonwealth. They've got lots of staff in all of their offices and they can help to address constituent concerns pretty easily because they're well-staffed. The, the, the Virginia General Assembly doesn't have that kind of uh, resource available to them. So I think that those are some of the major misconceptions. Um, they do, have to vote on issues ranging from uh, sewer disposal lines to zoning, to city charters, to disability issues. They've got just like all sorts of things that they have to have some level of knowledge about. Um, and it's, it's a really demanding kind of uh, portfolio that they have to have. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's really important for all of us to get to know our legislators and give them a real story, a real person to associate with the issues. Yes, that's <laughs> a great point. I definitely think I myself have been guilty of doing the whole like, well, politics is their full-time job. And, you know, this right. is, we should, you know, everybody should be heard. Everybody should have their time. But in reality, it's so much more nuanced than that. And like people who choose to serve, they're doing the best they can, but it's complex and not everybody can do everything. So that's right. That's right. Um, so as far as um, things that have happened, you know, this year you mentioned that there was some success as far as the bills that we were involved in. Um, I'm curious, what are the next steps for the General Assembly going forward? And I would imagine, you know, in times like this, it's hard to know what the future might look like. You know, we don't know what it's going to be like for our country and for this state three months from now, six months from now, given just the turmoil that's going on. But what do you see as far as next steps? The legislature passed a number of bills and funding provisions to try to 
kind of mitigate the damage from uh, the COVID crisis and from uh, you know the shutdown, the school closures, those sorts of things. So I, th I think it will be um, an interesting thing going forward to see whether the measures that they enacted are enough. I do think that they are going to be continually having to reassess the impact on the economy um, and whether there are other steps that need to be taken to address that. From our perspective, the most serious consequence of the COVID crisis, um, well, I guess two most serious consequences have been the, the tragic number of deaths of people with disabilities, especially the deaths that occurred in uh, congregate settings, in assisted living facilities and nursing homes. Of course. So we will be looking forward to further um, further actions that will help us to never, ever, ever have to see a day like that again. But the other serious consequence, of course, has been that our children with disabilities um, have, have suffered a learning loss that we may never ever get to make up. The loss of time for children with um, special education needs um, is just devastating. And uh, it, it will be a challenge for this legislature going forward to, to see ways in which they can try to make up for that loss. I, I think that some of that loss is just simply irretrievable, but um, I am hopeful that the legislature will continue to um, try to address that. I think even for disabled kids, even before COVID was, you know, complicated, and now with all, you know, all this isolation, you make a great point that you know this time and energy and learning, you know, they really won't get back. So that's a that's a great point, right? And I think it's time to end on a hopeful note. Yes, <laughs> because this, you know, again, this is this is a pretty heavy topic. At the end of the day, there's all there's, you know, this is really important. This is how the state runs. This is how we get things passed to protect people with disabilities. Um, what are some ways that regular citizens, just people, uh, can get involved, stay informed on a local level and, and figure out where to get that information so they can participate in this process? The Disability Law Center has got regular legislative highlights that we post to our website. Um, you can find them under uh, resources. And um, that's uh, a way that you can at least stay informed about what's going on in the legislative process. We also offer a lot of that information through our Facebook page and through other social, social media tools. Um, I think that um, there, most advocacy groups offer uh, tools like that. And you can find out what initiatives are being undertaken by visiting with advocacy groups. Of course, uh, DLCV always welcomes volunteers from the community. And we had some help from volunteers this year during the legislative process. We're hoping to get a little bit better at uh, working with volunteers in the legislative process. And that would be something we would love to have some help from, uh, from the community as well. Well, thank you so much, Colleen, for joining me with us today. I know that it's been a, a long, long several weeks for you. So we appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us and give us this really cohesive wrap up. 
Thank yes, you. You're Thank you for having me. And now a DLCV highlight. The 2021 legislative session was a great one for DLCV and the people we serve. One of the most significant developments for DLCV was the passage of HB 1808 and SB 1154, two identical bills that will give DLCV unprecedented access to reports about abuse and neglect in the community. All providers who are licensed by the Department of Behavioral Health must report allegations of abuse into the human rights database operated by the state. They must report the allegation within 10 days and must report their finding within 10 days after that. At that point, DLCV will have access to every allegation and determination. Because this will be hundreds of reports each week, DLCV plans to enter the reports into a database and will use that data to look for patterns and to identify especially problematic providers. This is similar to the data analysis that we already do, for instance, in the state-operated facilities. The two bills have been sent to the governor, who has until March 31st to act on them. We've asked the governor to make a small correction to the language of the bill. And if he does that, the legislator will take final action on the bill when it meets again on April 7th. Once again, a big thank you to Colleen Miller. This was a really incredible General Assembly session. We had so many amazing bills that DLCV was following go through. We're really looking forward to see how those play out. And yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just so happy to hear that um, all three of the bills that um, Colleen and our organization and the people we work with were involved in were able to be passed. I think that's you know, something, a great achievement and something to, you know, be really proud of. And I hope that everybody listening today at least got some um, good information and little nuggets that they can use to be aware of what's going on here locally. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, as well as more general assembly information, you can visit us online at dlcv.org. And um, as well, your favorite news app, you can follow us on Twitter at Disability Law VA. And please share us with your friends, your family, your colleagues, anyone you want. We also have a Facebook that's at the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We have a lot of hot stuff on there too. So check us out. All right. Until next time, I'm Molly Carter. And I'm Ren Fazuski. And this has been Rights Here. Rights Now. <laughs>